0: Before I start, though, it's it's always a little awkward, um, but you have to just you have to assume that somebody eventually will be listening. So it's kind of like you're talking to people, even though you're not really talking to people. So it's always kind of awkward, but I'm you know you just got to do it. So, all right, you do your intro, man. (laughs) All right, hello everybody, and welcome to the first episode of my new podcast. Um, I've actually been putting this off for about three and a half years because I'm uh, kind of lazy and I procrastinate a lot, but the time has come. And with me today is an old friend of mine, Logan. Uh, Logan, will you please say hello? How's it going, everyone? All right, so today, uh, Logan, did you choose, I think you chose this uh,
1: topic, didn't you?
0: I believe it was uh, your
1: choice. I I think it was a mutual, kind of like me and you talked about it. Yeah and then I believe we were just like that didn't make any sense in that movie so we went back and watched it um or do you do you mean the topic of just
0: I meant specifically um, I think you chose Aragon which is the the movie slash book we're discussing today um so I've had this idea for this podcast for a long time basically what we're doing is we're uh we're finding a book uh popular or not and uh it has to have a movie adaptation, so we're reading the book and then watching the movie, and we're having a discussion about it. And I brought on Logan because uh, we both—I uh, assume you—you you like the book, right?
1: I I like the book. Okay, I prefer the sequels, especially *Eldest*. That that was—that's probably my favorite. But yeah, yeah, I'm like actually going through
0: *Eldest* right now. Um, and we have to talk about the sequels for sure because. Uh, what this movie did is it it made let's just hold i'm gonna get to that in a little bit but yes we're talking about aragon um so logan can you tell me a little bit about your history with this book um when did you first read it uh just that sort of thing what what it meant to you back then and what you like about it
1: now i read this book in early 2000s um uh, i don't know if uh it's a big deal, but we're from the the lower Midwest, and uh, I believe we actually had a uh, ice storm. And I had I knew that the ice storm was coming, and if we have an ice storm because we live in the lower Midwest near Texas, but not in Texas, um, we have a lot of issues with power outages and considering the rural area in which we lived, power would go out for long periods of time. So, figuring that was going to happen, and I believe you and another friend of ours, Brent, um, actually said this was a good book. So, I actually got it out of the library a day or two before this ice storm hit, and I read it by candlelight whenever our power went out, for, it was like almost a week, (laughs) Wow. power <laughs> Okay. And I read it, and then I read it uh, again. I've, I'm I'm not mistaken. That's where I read it at. I actually I have fond memories of reading this book because in my room I had one of them tall old candles, like like I don't know as big as your forearm, like or, a, you know, a like big. a
0: 1700 style candle, like a
1: big <laughs> thick candle, and yeah. I cut a U out of the side of out of it as it burnt down so that way it would shine light from behind me because i was laying on my bed to the book so i could see it better at night especially
0: that's really interesting um i also found this book through our uh, school library and like you said we came from this really small town in the middle of nowhere oklahoma and our school was like really small our school library it was like the size of just like a, a small classroom so I, I was just browsing it one day and just I found this book and uh, I was like e Raggin, what's that but then I read it and I eventually realized that the pronunciation was different but yeah I just I, I loved it in this book it sort of introduced me to uh, fantasy the the fantasy genre and uh, be, for that I'll always uh, appreciate it um, it does have its issues, but in general, I do think it's a pretty good book. You know, you hear a lot of uh, comparisons, like, oh, it's just Star Wars with dragons. <laughs> but I'm not really going to talk about that. I still think that, even though there are a lot of similarities between this uh, story and a lot of others, uh, I'm pretty impressed with what the author was able to do. Um, he was, uh, I believe, 15. Uh, he, had, he actually graduated high school at 15, Christopher Paolini, and uh, his parents uh, published the book for him um, because they were so impressed with it uh, and he, so See, it I like didn't a, know
1: he was that young
0: yeah he, he graduated high school early finished this book at 15 and so this this book is the work of a 15 year old so I mean it's pretty impressive um, if you think about it like that and then his parents just like okay we we, uh, we like what you've done son we're gonna publish the book for you and it just kind of took off so I, I really do like that uh that sort of underdog story but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool, and I really do appreciate this book because uh, if I hadn't read this book, um, I maybe I would have gotten into fantasy stories um, eventually. I, I am kind of a nerd like that, but I think this was a good one to get me started because I, I found a lot of really cool uh, books
1: since then. Yeah, I think our friend group got into, let's see, we did this one. Um, we had Artemis Fowl, Pendragon... Um, I actually
0: just finished the Pendragon books again. <laughs> I, usually, I need to go through them. I really yeah, do. I have so all... That last book is so good.
1: It's it's like a culmination. It's really... Yeah. Um, The Terry Goodkin books, the Sword of Truth series, I don't think you've read those. There are long, and in like the third or fourth book, it gets, it gets a little... Or maybe it's a fifth. It gets a little wonky. And actually, <laughs> in that book series if anyone is listening um i don't know if you're for or against communism but then the fifth book of that series it tells a great example of the differences between capitalism and communism and it does it through how the book series goes or how the book goes it doesn't like actually just talk about it but it it gives you like the differing ways that it works, and I—I uh, I don't know why that just popped in my head, but that—that <laughs> that was one. That's one thing I took from it's. I think it's Faith of the Fallen, but at any rate, um. But this, I the way I seen this stuff, got us into a lot of that stuff back in the days, yeah. and it we actually, got into talking about Artemis uh, Fowl mm-hmm. and. That, that just came out, supposedly, on Disney+, Plus, and I've heard horrible things about yeah, that. Yeah, really I've heard that, that, that could one. be
0: a future episode, actually. But um, my, my current favorite author, Brandon Sanderson, uh, his books are incredible. Um, and I actually found him because I, I finished the Aragon books again a few years ago, and I did a Google search, like, what should I read after Aragon? And like, I just found this random um, poll on a website or something like that, and somebody had uh, mentioned Mistborn. Um, so Mistborn is this like, really incredible series by Brandon Sanderson and I just went down a rabbit hole so without Aragon who knows if I would have found uh, Brandon Sanderson's work but we're, uh, we can actually move on from that because um, we, we both really like this book um, but uh, real quick just give a, a quick few sentences uh, what was your opinion on this movie when you saw it um, the, let's just talk about the most recent like, we don't have to go back the first time you ever saw it just uh, for, for this recording, uh, what were your thoughts
1: on the movie? My thoughts were that... I don't think that they were really going that well for a sequel. Because they're... Though I think the book is a little bit dialogue heavy, but I think it sets up nicely. That's why the, the sequel is so much better. Um, I, I think this is a good book. The movie was just I don't know, they, they portrayed different characters in incorrectly and a lot of it just didn't make much sense. And a lot of the plot lines that go into the next book were completely just like stabbed. There, yeah,
0: there's no way that they can they can follow up. So I wanted to ask you something. Did you do you think this uh uh screenplay had any chance in hell of being written by christopher Paulini?
1: uh i really don't know especially with the, as young as he was he'd have to get into um into hollywood and do all that and it only been what not even 10 years since he wrote the book or maybe even five i think the- um it was i believe even less
0: than that yeah but uh no he did not write the screenplay um, and it shows. Uh, the person who wrote the screenplay is uh, let's see, it's a man named Peter Buckman. Uh, he has four, uh, four writing uh, jobs under his uh, IMDb page. So the first one he wrote Jurassic Park 3, and then he wrote Aragon, and then he wrote a two-part series called uh, Che, which is about Che Guevara. Um, and that's it. He hasn't written anything um, big like there's, there's no other credits on his uh, IMDb page after that. I don't want to be mean, but maybe that's for a good reason. Right. You know, um, he, uh, again, I don't, I don't want to be mean, but it's, he kind of did a piss poor job with the writing on this. And like you were saying, um, there were just so many changes that it's, it's literally impossible to follow the story, um, from, from after this first, uh, book like there's too many changes um there's over 50 major character and plot changes from book to movie and that's a huge problem
1: um i will say the movie had a lot of good portrayals and good acting i think they blew the budget on the actors more than they did because brahm um jeremy irons he also played in kingdom of heaven loved him in that he he was also scar in the lion king oh is he i didn't realize that yeah i never
0: realized you'll, that. you'll recognize the voice i um, think thinking about it now clips I, it or something. does it does mix yep he played scar from the lion king um yeah jeremy irons is huge um and another thing another good thing about um this movie was uh it actually did look pretty good for 2006 right, yeah and i would attribute that to the director um so the director uh steven uh Fangmeier, he's not really a director he's uh, a visual effects guy he's actually done he was the visual effects supervisor for allegiant which is a one of those you know b- movies that was based on a book um but he's done a lot of stuff uh dreamcatcher Uh, Some Game of Thrones, like 21 episodes, he was a visual effects supervisor for Game of Thrones, so this guy, he knows what he's doing in the visual effects area, but for some reason he took the director job on this uh, project, and uh, it, it led to the movie looking pretty good, but I mean... I just, I don't know what else to say. Like there, there's a lot of problems with the, my biggest issues, like you were saying with the plot point changes and stuff is the pacing in this movie is just lightning fast. And like, it's kind of all over the place. Like I never know where they are. It's not really clear. Um, characters just come in and out of the movie like crazy. Like it's just, it's wild. Like it's breakneck speed. Well, I
1: mean, just, just, just in the characters alone and how they did them, um, to where they wouldn't really make sense showing back up later in the story, even though they were consequential characters, they left out large portions of consequential characters. The reasoning why they even left Carva Hall in the first place <laughs> mm-hmm. is wrong from the yeah. book. Yeah, they, uh, you're talking they, they, uh,
0: roaring especially. Uh, so let's yeah, just let's just I, go. I'm gonna get drafted. I gotta
1: gotta go he's, he's no, running he
0: away left. <laughs> he's running away from from the draft apparently um yeah. so so draft let, dodge we will we we'll so what I want to do here <laughs> what I want to do here is I'm going to go through sort of from the beginning um and we're just going to go through some plot points and just kind of talk um but yeah that's going to come up pretty early so um, can I make
1: a couple of comments some more about uh the actors in that film yes go for it yeah Jeremy that. Iron that's exactly how I would have, I envisioned Brum as I mm-hmm. read the book the first time. Perfect. Great. John Malkovich playing Galbatorix. You now, in the book, you don't really see, mention, hear nothing about Galbatorix um, until later. Like, in another book, That you just hear about what happened. He doesn't actually talk. In this movie, he just broods. He broods, and he calls the dragon egg a stone, even though he knows I, it's a dragon egg.
0: I, I noticed that too. I have it written in my notes. So there's this point in the movie... Okay, so honestly, I I like um, Jeremy Irons as uh, as Brom. I actually, when I read the book, I imagined him to be older and have like a long, scraggly beard. Um, but in the movie, it's actually fine. I don't really have any problem with Jeremy Irons. But but John Malkovich as Galvatorex, like Galbatorics is supposed to be this empire creating, dragon slaying, mind manipulating maniac who rose to power through sheer force of will and anytime I hear John Malkovich talk, I don't see that I don't hear that and it just kind of seems goofy to me, I don't know if you agree with that but it just he has has a certain kind of screen presence and cadence of talking that just doesn't seem right for the role, I don't know, what are your thoughts on him? Right,
1: right, my thought is all right, how do I explain this? Maybe it's because I seen Conair like a, like a couple of years before this, but in that he has this master plan and all that, and he seems evil and maniacal. And I see, I feel a lot of that, and can hear a lot of it in Galbatorx. And when I when you go through the other books, you kind of figure out Galbatorx is not. He's more of like a, someone who's trying to control and, you know, make makes his minions do most of it so he doesn't have to put a chance of something happening to him.
0: Well, yeah, all of his t- – he, he's spending all of his time trying to uh, gain more power. So he lets all of his minions do all of his dirty work while he's just – he's trying to learn more magic and – uh, gain power, and then he, he really only does... If I remember correctly, he only shows up on screen in the books in the last book. Like, you don't ever right. actually see I, him until You don't
1: re- ever see him until the very last book. Yeah. When they so, basically so go So, in to reality, to,
0: he shouldn't have been in this movie at all. It not should, at all. Yeah. No. I mean, <laughs> so, that's one thing. But, yeah, I mean, it could be a direction thing. Um, and also, the scene, like you were saying, when he's talking about... Okay, this is his line. He says... I suffer without my stone do not prolong my suffering but it's not a stone and he knows it's not a stone why would he call the egg a stone it, it makes and no sense it's just like it's the most laughable thing like I actually laughed when I saw it like I couldn't yeah. I couldn't stop laughing
1: yeah and uh, another thing that kind of made me laugh about it was they're talking about the Varden. And in the beginning of the book, you don't know the Varden's freedom fighters or anything like that. All you hear is what the propaganda from the Empire is. You just hear they're rebels. They're like rebels and murderers and stuff. And, and in the very beginning, he, like Brahm during the monologue... Yeah, in the, right? In
0: the, in the books, Brahms like, he doesn't want to take Aragon to the Varden. He wants Aragon to be trained and prepared because he knows that the Varden, when, when they get there they're going to try to gonna, manipulate Aragorn so he's right. like but in the movie he's like
1: we have to get you to the
0: Varden right now in this instant we can't delay and it's you know it's kind of
1: and that's that's not even the reasoning why they are going to the Vard they don't even decide to go to the Varden until he has no other choice
0: mm-hmm. because he has to uh, save uh, Arya right like they're the only ones who can stop the, the that
1: poison. and because of Brahm's death
0: right yeah, that's true. And Brom's death in the books and movies is actually quite a bit different as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so the so I don't think the actors were the problem. Um, and in fact, most of the as far as I can tell, most of the actors, even the one who played uh, Arya, the act- the actress played Arya, the actor who played uh, Aragon, they they still act like they're still working. So, you know. I good for them being able to move past this movie um so i'm happy for them uh yeah it, so the movie i think the biggest issues have definitely come down to the writing and uh and pacing and things like that do you have any other um any other thoughts before we move on to our sort of point by point plot breakdown i
1: no, no i think I think
0: we covered most of it okay so the movie starts with some obnoxious uh exposition as you see the scene of uh dragons fighting and i think this only exists because they wanted to show dragons fighting um and kind of maybe try to catch people and you know get them hooked but this this whole exposition that brahm's giving it really should have been done uh by him telling a story in carver he should have just been like Like he does in the book he gives all this backstory and exposition uh during a scene in the book when he's uh telling this cool story and everybody's surrounding and listening they're all kind of on the edge of their seat and i thought that was it's more interesting in that way i I just i'm not a fan of just like voiceover at the beginning of a movie i i like um kind of like just showing just show us what's happening you don't have to tell us every little thing um but i mean it, it was fine i guess and then uh so our, it, it goes to the scene in the woods where Arya is running away with her stone um, and Derza and the Ergles are waiting to ambush am if you can call those Ergles but uh, yeah, um, yeah right uh,
1: so can I I that this is one of mine I have to I have to go on whoever decided to make the Ergles look like that should be should be neutered or spayed <laughs> or something they I, just... I am that that upset about it. Just, just, uh that makes me so angry. For they were one just thing.
0: bald dudes with kind of sharp teeth. Bald. Like that's all, that's bald all Neanderthals d- with red it. eyes. So like, explain a little bit about eyes. the ergles are supposed to look like. They're kind. The ergles are uh, unique to Christopher Paolini's book here. Uh, I at least I've never seen or heard of ergles before. I read this book. Um,
1: uh, argles are they're tall, yellow-eyed, gray-skinned, and horned. They're similar to humans, and they're a little bit bigger. Um, if imagine if you've ever tra- played Dragon Age Two, the horned mon- the horned people in that one. I can't think of their names right now, but um, that's what I'm seeing. And except they're gray skinned and yellow eyed. Yeah, so and basically they're
0: supposed to be like intimidating, right? So <laughs> right, <laughs> what you see in this movie, it's it's literally just like chubby bald guys with sharp teeth and they they, they kind of just suck honestly they're not scary they just I don't even you honestly if if they weren't described as ergles then you would you would have just thought they were humans like honestly if if they didn't say these are the ergles like that word could have just been left out and you would have just assumed it was just an army or maybe like a tribe a tribe from somewhere that is under the um, the rule of Galbatorix or something. But Urgles aren't the only thing in this movie that was changed. Like there, there are no elves, there are no dwarves. And I say there are no elves because Arya is not an elf in this movie. They didn't even bother to give her pointy ear prosthetics. So I just, you know, I, I, I even though I, they say that <laughs> yeah. she is, yeah, they they do they say in the, the movie they'll say she's an elf,
1: but she's and not. And they say. Hrothgar in the la- like Hrothgar you only see for like a minute or two mm-hmm. and and he's uh, like almost as tall as Ajihad <laughs>
0: he's supposed to be this, right he's this huge this he's dwarf like, king he's king of the dwarves <laughs> but he's like he's like five foot nine or something <laughs> I, I didn't even realize that was Hrothgar until like I was doing some research and uh, it it said somewhere that he's in the movie and it said the actor's name and I went back and looked and I was like oh wait that's the guy that's just kind of standing around uh, near Ajihad. Okay. That's weird. Um, so they, they have the character, but there's, there are no, I, I don't know. Maybe they blew their budget on Sephira and they didn't have the the time to, I don't know. Like other movies do it so easily. I don't know. Uh, maybe they didn't have the dwarf guy on set that day, but yeah. So the scene when Arya transports the, the egg, um, I don't know. It it was fine, I guess. Arya. I don't like the portrayal of Arya, honestly. I like how in the book she's this sort of like really stoic, uh, strong. uh, She's got like raven black hair. She, she talks when she has something to say, and uh, she's very intimidating, and I like that. She kind of reminds me a little bit of like a a goth elf, which I think is an interesting. Yeah, uh, like style a brooding choice. elf. Yeah, exactly. She's not this kind. Of, she's just kind of like, stay out of my way, uh, or you'll regret it, kind of thing. And I just, I loved, I love her in the book so much. Um, I'm actually going through eldest right now, and she. So in in the in Aragon of the first book, she she doesn't really do that much because she's captured and being tortured and like brutally tortured for uh you know transporting the egg. Um, so they're trying to figure out where it went so they they really fuck her up like they she's her back is like all scarred up she's poisoned she's emaciated um like but none in, of the which happens yeah, in the movie none of which she happens looks in, like yeah yeah she's she's fine there's no problems um but yeah it gets kind of crazy um but yeah, I really do like the way she's portrayed in the book and uh, again that's another choice that they made in the movie they went with somebody else they made her look different whatever um I can get over that I guess but I do miss my... Uh, <laughs> my stoic goth aria.
1: So her whole just demeanor is wrong.
0: Yeah. She kind of comes off as sort of like a... And I, again, blame this on the writing and the actor Or the directing, not the actor. But she comes off as this kind of like um, weak kind of uh,
1: damsel, I guess. Which is yeah.
0: not what she's supposed I to be. I don't mean.
1: know. What comes to mind whenever I've seen her in every scene except at the very end when they're fighting mm-hmm. is the uh queen princess person from the never-ending story mm. okay. i i can't think of the name of her but you know what i'm talking about that's yeah. that's the that's just what it came across to me it's like i don't know it's like help me betray you it's just yeah she's me, uh, she's
0: kind of like yeah she's weak and helpless in this movie and that's not at all what she is um, in the books um, it really does her a disservice because you hear people talk about strong female characters a lot uh, well this is one and they just they ruined
1: it um, and what's really funny is she's even strong when she's dying yeah. because like Ar- in she in the nearly book, kills Aragon <laughs> yeah she nearly like kills him Aragon Aragon yeah. tries to enter her mind when she's uh, she's drugged out to keep her asleep by by um, the oh, the shade Durza, name. the shade Durza, and when they get her get her back, they have to take her to the Varden to get help. But in doing so, he's trying to he doesn't know that that's the issue is why. So he goes into her mind using his kind of similar to how he talks to Sephira, and basically she block in she's dying. On the ground, she's dying, and she put herself.
0: She put her body in a coma so that it slows the rate of the poison. So she's like double, like out of it. She and yeah. So then she
1: and Aragon goes into her mind, and she literally blocks him in, holds him down, and basically is working on murdering him mentally. Yeah, she's in the process of killing him,
0: and he's like, "Stop, please! I'm a friend. I'm trying to help you." And she like. She she nearly kills him like in that state and you don't really get that from her in this movie so that's kind of sad. Um, we
1: can get which the home? yeah we can oh, we'll get into that yeah, yeah we'll get into that a little bit later. We're jumping all when, over that, the place. when that
0: scene comes up. But I'm mm. gonna jump ahead. So I didn't have too much of a problem with the early parts of the movie. Um, however, there's there are a bunch of knights in Carvajal for some reason and they're just kind of going around and being dicks and like taking people's sons to to draft into the army. And, yeah, this makes like, sense the thing is carva is in a place called the palancar valley and it's on the like the very edge of the empire um by this forest called the spine which nobody wants to enter because it's like magical or something and everybody's afraid of it um in this in this valley there are two towns there's there's Palank- or there's a uh, carva and there's therensford it's the, the king isn't going to be sending a bunch of knights out there to to take people from their home it's just it wouldn't make sense like it just it makes no sense but for some reason they wanted to have this kind of plot line in there and they wanted it to to integrate into why roran ends up leaving it's he's leaving because he doesn't want to get drafted um so there's no katrina in the movie which is katrina literally is roran's motivation for basically everything he does in the books um and i really like roran i think i have this thing for um characters in these fantasy books like where there's a bunch of magic and super overpowered characters and then you find this one character that just he just doesn't have magic he can't do any of the things that these other people can do yeah he he's still so badass he still kicks ass anyways and like I really like characters like that because it's just it's just really uh, interesting to see how they interact in this world that's just so much more powerful than them but they still find a way to um, to get ahead uh, so Roran actually is one of my all-time favorite characters, um, and again, it, there there are, are deleted scenes with Katrina, um, but they they were cut from the movie. So uh, yeah, she's just not in the movie, and uh, so that make that makes any future movies that he that they could have made it, his whole they would have changed everything about this character, and it would have been worse definitely because it just would have been a different character.
1: Right, and Roran is basically half of eldest. Um, like it switches between Roran and Aragorn's viewpoints throughout the whole of the book and Roran his whole his whole thing in the next installment in the next book is just how he outsmarts and outmaneuvers out with what little power he has and the people he has with him to get to safety and yeah and he his main leader his
0: main antagonists are the razak which die in this movie which makes no sense because right. they don't die in the book like <laughs> they're they're very important to roran's arc in eldest but they just kind of show up and die like immediately in the movie but yeah like you were saying yeah go, go on and continue about uh what you're saying about roran
1: but um yeah that the Razak are his total motivation in the next book, and in part in the starting of Bersinger. Um. It, you would lose that. You'd lose the reason for Katrina, um, him needing to save Katrina. You'd need lose the reasoning for what happens with Sloane and his true name in Brisinger, and what Aragon does and his the way he decided to handle that justice and basically and everything
0: that happens to Carvajal in the first half of, uh, of book two, like everything, uh, it all has to do with, um, the Razak coming back for Roran and trying to capture him. And in, in doing so they end up going to war with the whole town and it just starts this huge thing like that. Everybody ends up leaving town. They, they travel Roran eventually becomes this hardened warrior bec- uh, out of necessity and he goes on this uh, quest to save Katrina because she ends up getting captured by the Razak. Um, without her or the Razak, he has no arc for any second movie, and they really they really screwed that up.
1: Um, speaking of Sloane, yes. The the Sloane. All right, so to exemplify, he fi- Aragon finds the stone. And takes it, and he's he misses a deer. He needs food for his family. He takes it to Sloan, which is the local butcher in Carvajal. And in the book, Sloan is this kind of... How do I explain it? He's He's like a slimy dirtbag. Mm-hmm. In this one, he's more of a...
0: Like a lumbering <sighs> oaf. Yeah,
1: yeah. He's He's... In, in the first in in the book, he's more say smarter, and and his in the second book, he's
0: actually ruthless. He like murders people in the second book when they're attacking Carvajal. Like he's well, he's actually not
1: somebody to be messed with. And and his reasonings and his motivations. Well, the reasoning why he like he freaks out, throws the stone back to Aragorn after he wants yes, to buy because it because he movie. found
0: out that it came from the spine.
1: Right, but it doesn't really exemplify or explain that.
0: Yeah, I, do, in I don't the movie. I don't think it ever tells why like that people don't like the spine and Sloan especially because his wife actually died in the spine. Um so he has even more of a reason to hate it. But yeah, people are like super uh they're superstitious about the spine, the woods around the area and they're like I'm not taking anything that came from that place. Um yeah, so there's a lot there's a lot missing for sure.
1: Um and then after that, the whole Roran not wanting to get drafted. But his real reasoning in the book was he wanted to make a life for him and his girlfriend Katrina, which is Sloane, the butcher's daughter. Um, and he's wanting to go work in Therensford and pick up a trade there. I think he wanted to be a blacksmith as well as Horst. And he's going to work with Horst, too. Uh, not, I Aragon remember.
0: was going to work with Horst um, because Horst pays for his meat at Sloane's. Um, he, I think he was going to a mill. Um, I think that's where Roran was going. He was going with the miller. Um, but yeah, and he ends up with the hammer because he just picks up a hammer because he remember like they were going to attack the the camp, the enemy camp, and he just he remembered this uh, story that Brom used to tell about a guy who wielded a hammer to defend people, and it was it's all it's a big deal. Um, but yeah, I think he was going to uh, to be, to go to a mill. Uh, and he was wanting to pick up a trade and he wanted to make a life for katrina and himself um so yeah then in the second book uh roran and sloan have uh some major issues and again that's just not set up at all so yeah aragon returns home and wrestles with roran for some character development um he tells aragon that he's leaving uh Oh, another thing that I, that was gone from the movie was uh, Garrow's uh, speech to Roran and Aragorn when they were leaving. I really liked that speech. It it, it, just, it was a really heartfelt thing. And you can tell that uh, this guy really, he, he thought of, you know, Roran was his son, and he thought of Aragorn as his son. And uh, he, he loves them both dearly. And he was like kind of, um, he's heartbroken that Roran's leaving, but he's also proud that he's making something of himself. And he gives this really nice speech um, and gives just some good general fatherly advice to his son as he leaves. Um, and I always liked that part in the book, but it's not in the movie, and it just really bugged me. Um, but that's, yeah, you know, we can move on from that uh, and just go to the part where Safira, let's just talk about Safira hatching and uh, growing up really fast in the movie. Um, so, yeah, so <laughs> Safira hatches. I, honestly, I, I like the, I, I thought baby Safira in the movie was pretty cute. Uh, I did like the way right. she looked. Um, they did a fairly good job on her. I think when she becomes an adult, um, she's a little bit too, like, thin and slim. I, I've always imagined Sephira as, like, I don't know, more thick and muscular. Um, right. And just kind of menacing. And also they got her voice wrong. See, in the book, she's got this, like, d- dragons you can't really tell that easily if they're male or female.
1: Um, right. It's more gruff. It's, like, animalistic. It's what you would think if a dragon actually talked to you. Yeah, exactly. It's it like a gravelly,
0: like. low, rumbling voice, and it's like really hard to tell. Um, and there's this whole funny scene in the in the books where he's trying to give Sephira a name, and he keeps giving her boy names, and she's just kind of like chuckling and laughing at him. And it's like a cute, fun little scene where he like finally realizes, "Oh, you're a girl, aren't you?" And then he gives her the name Sephira. And then of course that name is has extra meaning because it was Brahms' dragon when he was a writer and it's just this all this big fun thing um but yeah it's just kind of she just has like a regular voice <laughs> as a hollywood actress she just sounds like a woman
1: whenever safira hatches um there's a lot of them talking as safira as a babe as a young you know dragon and this movie uh yeah, yeah, you
0: kind of get like the 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 evolution of her kind of learning how to how to communicate with Aragon. She kind of does it slowly over time, and then eventually she gets she learns more and more words. They get better at talking, and she grows slowly. Um, there's a there's a scene in this movie where he's kind of like it, it, it made me laugh so much because uh, Aragon's sort of character in this movie is he's a he's a farm boy and he's really sad that his mom left he brings up his mom leaving like five or six times in this movie um and at one point um he's like oh i'm gonna teach you how to fly and he's like running with safira in his arms and he throws her into the air and she takes off and starts to fly and she goes around a tree and he sits there for like two seconds and he's like oh no she's gone too now <laughs> he's like, <laughs> like at no time at all had passed and he's like he's got such bad abandonment issues and it just made me laugh because like she was gone for two seconds he's like oh she's gone forever But then it shows her flying through the clouds, and she literally digivolves into big (laughs) Sephira in the blink of an eye, and now she's just huge. Uh, It was kind of odd. I don't know why they went that direction, but instead of just, like, saying, some time has passed, and now she's bigger, I don't know. Um, I guess they thought the scene looks cool uh, with her digivolving, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
1: And then she when she lands she says my name is Safira. It's like they took the whole the whole teaching and talking and growing together See, thing think, and him figuring I, out
0: Yeah, like his the name Safira it, it was it was important because it was the name of Brahm's dragon. Like he later when when they when he like learns what her name is, he makes no he has no reaction to it. Like, Brahm has no reaction to Sephira at all. He's like, hmm, that's a pretty nice dragon. Strong, strong legs, uh, great teeth. Like, he's just kind of like... He, in the books, he's super emotional because he's remembering his days as a dragon rider and how he lost his, like, basically his partner as his dragon. Um, there's this big thing. And another thing, another change they made um, in, the, in the movie, apparently if the rider dies, the dragon just straight up dies. Now there is a line somewhere in the book that kind of sounds like that's the case, but it's actually not the case. Um uh because later on in one of the later books, uh, a rider does die and his dragon stays alive uh be, kind of because he has to. Like a lot of the time um dragons and riders, they'll just they'll just choose to die if their <laughs> if their partner dies uh, because the pain is so unbearable. Um that's just kind of how that bond is, but it's not necessarily the case. And with this with this movie they made it necessarily the case like if the writer dies the dragon definitely dies and that that's like the plot later on with aragon's mentor the elf mentor and his dragon that that kind of ruins that a little bit as well because that's a huge plot point later on where um, what's his name Orimus, um in glader Orimus. um his Orimus. Uh, the, the is that the name of the elf that trains? oh oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah at yeah, one point they're fighting and and the rider dies, but Glader the dragon he stays alive because he kind of has to help. Well, continue the his fight. His body
1: dies too. Yep. But it's not because of his his rider dying. It's because um, he got bit in the neck and killed too. But the inside of dragon, it's 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 a long way, story. We, we can't. Yeah, it's, it's long story. I don't want to break it up. <laughs> it's, I don't
0: wanna... it's just a weird thing. It's way complicated. Um, but I do want to talk let's jump forward Um. to uh, the summoning of the Razak and we can talk about the Razak in uh, oh, a little bit more detail so um, so in the movie there's a scene where like honestly I think the Razak should have just not been in the movie uh, it, it doesn't really change anything um, just have they, some they, soldiers they, chasing they, him. yeah they changed uh, everything it wouldn't else so much that, but it's so funny because like Anytime I think of the scene, I just start to laugh. Um, but Durza, at one point, he's just like in the middle of the woods or something, and he just stretches his arms out, and he starts saying, Hurrah, Zuck! Hurrah, like They just the, pop out of the fucking ground. And they ground. just pop out of the ground, and they're like clicking and clacking, and like they got dirt coming off. Uh, it kind of looks like they're kind
1: of like worm dirt people. Um, right. In the book, yeah. what they about look the like, <laughs> the Rizak is more sim- more like a more humid version of the pe- the bug people from Mimic.
0: Mhm. Yep, they're they're okay? bug-like creatures. They're humanoid anthropomorphic kind of
1: bug creatures. Um, and they they can talk like humans, but they sound more bug like. They're not like a mess of bugs together. They're yeah, yeah. they're it's, just
0: they're 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 one creature. They're not like a, a formation of bugs that kind of they're not oogie boogie <laughs> From Right. Nightmare yeah. for Christmas. Like oh, they're man. just one big bug, and uh, they've got like this weird beak and these giant eyes like black eyes that are the size of fists, and uh, they're really strong and. Uh, smart, um, but yeah, and again, in the books, they're uh, they're kind of uh, kind of important, but in the movie, they just kind of show up for a little bit and then die uh, as sort of a lesson um, to like for Aragon. Make sure you protect your dragon because if if you die, she dies, and you got to stick together. But I don't know, it was it was kind of stupid. But they just they show up for like a couple scenes and then they're dead. Um, so All right. Yeah. I so know. in <laughs> it's kind of in
1: dumb. in the book, the motivation for them leaving Carvajal mm-hmm. is solely because they want, or uh, Aragorn wants revenge on the Razak. Yes. And they're trying to find how to find them and to get stronger along the way. Yes. That's basically all that's happening.
0: Yes, because because Brahm knows that it's gonna take a long time before they can find the Razak, and with that time he can give Aragorn the knowledge that he needs for when he eventually has to go to the Varden or wherever he ends up going.
1: And in the movie it's like we have to get to the Varden right away <laughs> That's pretty much what it was. There's yeah. no time to lose yeah, so
0: like like I was saying, the Razak didn't even need to be uh, in the movie. It could have just uh, been s- anything, literally anything else. Um, but yeah, let's. Uh, I don't know. I, I just want to talk real quick about the scene where the Razak um, attack um, Garrow uh, and destroy you know the farm and all that stuff. So in the book, um, Aragon tries to get back to the the farm, but Sephirah captures him like grabs him and flies him away because she knows that it's gonna they're gonna kill him and she's scared because she's young and she's like oh we have to we have to run um that that happens in the in the movie to a degree as well um so that's not that big of a change but in the book like uh i don't know it's a bit more dramatic and they they stay away from the farm like all night and he was riding her bareback so his her scales like ripped his legs to shreds and like it just big deal and that's part of the reason why he's like afraid to fly again after that um but you know in the movie when he when they eventually land and they get back to the house um they they run in and Garo is just like he's just like he's dead but there's like three three sticks laying over on him like he was crushed by a couple of twigs and like i don't know it, it doesn't show any burn marks on him there's there's no seether oil um, torture involved. Um, none of that stuff from the book really happens. And then, and then Brahm shows up and he's like, We have to go. And he like grabs a torch and just throws it on Garrow's body and just fucking burns him. And he's like, A funeral for a king. And then they just go. Like, I thought, like, that was one of the most disturbing things he could have possibly done. Like Aragon sitting <laughs> right. there grieving. He's like, I'm not leaving until we give him a burial. And he's like, he grabs a torch and just burns the guy on the ground, like, and burns their whole fucking house down. I don't know. Like that, like he could have, he could have he just helped him dig a hole. Couldn't he? I mean, come on. Right. <laughs> I thought that, that scene really caught me off guard. I was just like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> But yeah, that's what happens in the movie. Um, so yeah, then they, they leave and they, they travel and talk a little bit and do a little training. Um, Durza enlists the Urgles, There's a scene with that where he just, he puts his, I don't know, he, he this might be later, but at some point when, Dur- I think it's later on, but there's a scene where Durza just puts his finger up to one of the Urgles temples and he just dies. Like he did like a little finger gun thing and kills him. Uh, I thought that was weird. They, they really made Durza seem extremely powerful um, because he's able to – he's able to find – he's able to use Arya to send a message to Aragorn through his dreams, which I don't know. He seems like if he can do that, he should just automatically be able to know where Aragorn is. I don't. There's right. not really – I don't know, but it's kind of weird. Um, another funny scene was that uh, there's the part where they're traveling and uh, – uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say what the scene was. And I want you to see, I want to see if you remember what happens next. Um, so there's a bunch of Urgles attacking a a caravan of people traveling on the road and Aragon wants to go help. But Brahm's like, no, you idiot. Be quiet. We can't take them. Yeah. You're not strong enough. And he's like, oh yeah, Roran and I have trained. Um, so do you remember what happens after that?
1: I think they go and stick fight for a little bit,
0: yeah, they just uh he's he's like oh really you're you've trained um so yeah they they just go and stick fight and uh by a stream, and uh I guess that's supposed to imply that um that that start of their training um but I was thinking like so they did just leave those people to be murdered by the Earth. Right. Like, they just <laughs> it didn't show them like saving them or anything or uh, it just like the, the scene just ends and then they're just like playing with sticks next to a stream. Um, but yeah, I guess those people just got killed by the Urgles. I really don't know. Um, then of course there's a scene where he's lighting the fire. He says Brisinger and that's where Aragon hears the word and then, um, and then they uh, show up in Darrett. So this town that they end up going to, it's kind of a, it's like a combination of three towns in the book, um, Yazwak, Darrett, and Tirm. Um and uh, so they kind of combined all those plot points into one town, one scene in the movie, and they, they kind of did all of it wrong. Um, so, do you, do you remember the scene from the movies? Uh, the I want to say turn? in
1: Darrett's in Darret where in, in the movie in Darrett's where he runs into Angela, mm-hmm. which she's not fucking blind. <laughs> She also talks about herself in the third person so that
0: the audience knows that this is supposed to be Angela. (laughs) Like there's no, there's no solemn bomb. She's not selling herbs. She's just like, Angela will read your fortune. Um, she, she doesn't mention, uh, ever reading Aragon's mother's fortune, which is a pretty big plot point in the book. Uh, Obviously she doesn't know it was his mom, but Aragon kind of puts the pieces together after she says the name. Uh, what is it? Selena, Serena? Yeah, uh, I can't Selena. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, Was that my mother? Um, yeah, and there's no Solemn Bomb, which again, huge, huge foreshadowing for later on. Um, so uh bomb gives us huge foreshadowing for the future books, and he's not in this movie at all. So he talks about how he's gonna um, uh if he ever needs a weapon, he goes to the look under the roots of the Manoa tree. Um which is where he gets his sword Brissinger, in the in the book three, and then also when you feel like you don't have enough strength, I can't remember the exact wording, but when your strength isn't enough, go to this place and say these words or whatever, and, and blah blah blah. Say there. your name
1: into the rock, kuthian
0: Yes, that's it. Thank you. Um, and that's in book four when he needs to find. Uh, is it the 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 dragon eggs or the Eldenari? What was it? I don't there? remember if
1: there was there eggs there. I think there was, but it was like the the like hard, a, heart things. Yeah. It There's, was, like, a whole bunch like of them like, a whole there. bunch
0: of them so he can, you know, gather power enough to fight Galbatorix. So, like, that was kind of important, <laughs> you know, just a little bit. And then Angela and Solemnbaum are also just, in general, really important characters. So, uh, they yeah, they, they screwed that up. Um, and Derret, uh so in the book, Yazawak is where they get attacked by the Urgles and he says, Brissinger, and he shoots the arrow and learns about magic. Um, in the book it's a town that was completely wiped out and uh, it's like a really gruesome scene they have their fight and th- again he learns about magic and then they go to Derrett. Derrett was the town where uh, they weren't allowed to go inside because the town was like quarantining everybody like you're not allowed to get in we don't know who you are um, you know get out we'll give you supplies and you gotta go and then right Tirm right. was where Angela was and that's where they meet with uh a Jode uh, Jode yep yeah. and they do all that stuff they find who out who does not
1: appear in the movie at all
0: yeah he's not in the movie at all <laughs> Jode another pretty important character
1: um anyway so we end up in Derek in the movie um and then that's where the Bersinger he shoots the arrow and they meet Angela um in the book you have if I'm not mistaken is it Yazwak first yes yeah yazwak so he goes to Yazwak, shoots and kills Urgles with Magic, first time using it, and then Braum kind of teaches him how magic works. And just to, for further understanding, magic is a, used in an ancient language. That is the word for the actual total word for that thing. So fire is bersinger. That means that's what it is, actually called. Like you can control it by the name. Yeah, it's it's fire's if you true have,
0: name, basically. Yeah,
1: it's it's the true name. If someone can figure out your true name, they can control you to do whatever. And anything you say in the ancient language is it's, it's the truth. Yep. It's binding and it's the truth. You can't lie you, in the ancient if you, language. If you, if you do something different than what you say you're going to do in the ancient language, it kills you. You die. Um, so he teaches him the ancient language and tries to explain to him um, magic can kill you. It's going to use up your energy. Anything you do with magic... It takes up the exact amount of energy if you did it physically. So, shooting fire is the same as him building a giant fire and then setting it ablaze and cutting the logs, doing the whole thing. Same exact concept. Um, And a lot of the book is him teaching him how to do things and him not listening, how to do things the easy way, easier ways to get the same effect. Like, you can take a rock, and you can just propel it forward through an Urgle's head and kill him that way instead of trying to fling him instead 800 of trying, miles. Yeah,
0: exactly. Instead of trying to throw the Urgle himself, you can just throw a rock through his head. And uh, there are moments in the books where Aragorn, like, he comes very close to killing himself with magic. Um, he's, like he's two times? Yeah, like, like over the course of the book, he does it a few times. And, uh, like, every time I was thinking, wow, you're such an idiot. Why are you doing this? You didn't listen, but... um you know he's he's a he's a 15 year old kid and he's like he's scared he's on the run he's in a situation where he uh he's there he's be, he's about to be killed a lot of the time he's just like trying to like get out of it you know it's like it's kind of realistic like yes it's dumb he should have known better but again he's a kid and he's being, his life is in jeopardy so it's i thought it was interesting because i remember who he becomes by the end of book four, he's actually this really intelligent, capable uh, magician warrior kind of guy, and it's just like he he would never make those kinds of mistakes. By the end of book four, um, he's incredibly wise and experienced by then. But so it was kind of it was kind of cool, you know, going back in the book and seeing him like try to throw twelve ergles at once into like into trees to kill them all and he, like when you know like there's something he wouldn't have never tried to do um later on later on yeah he would have been able to figure out a way he could have done it
1: later on but he didn't do it he, yeah way. he
0: could he actually could have done it later on if he wanted to that's funny yeah he really could have um but yeah i thought it was interesting because it really aragon does have a pretty interesting arc uh, he, he goes from this sort of like a um brash um not not very thoughtful. He's like, he, he, he reacts before he thinks and he becomes this like really wise character kind of beyond his years. Um, because he, well, he spends a lot of time with the elves and, uh, in book two and kind of learns a lot from them. So yeah, I really like his, uh, his arc in the books.
1: What's next? Um, I think we're in Derek. So I want to talk a little bit about Angela in the movie. Okay. Angela in the movie is just like a blind fortune teller basically it. In the book, she's not blind. She has more personality than almost every character in the movie. Yeah. Um, just imagine a cheerful, mature I'm thinking 40s or 50s dark curls, brown hair, talks with everybody, likes to talk, um, is kind of what you'd think of what a scientist would be cuz she's trying to figure out if toads are really frogs. <laughs> yeah. And if they are, then there's no such thing as a toad because every toad is a frog. Get it? Uh, yeah, and if and that's the has, case
0: then, you know, toads don't cause warts. So she yeah, she's has very a she's very
1: kooky, yeah. She has a companion, he's a werecat, so a cat that can turn into like a human-looking person. It's kind of it's like a human child-sized thing. And it's a ki- It's a cat, but it can talk. It's and a lot of them tell in stories. They're like can tell a lot of important deeds and foresee things. And hit a lot of his dialogue is really important mm-hmm. later in other. It's books.
0: extremely important. So- Solomon is like a very. Uh, he is a necessary character, honestly. If you want to do the story right. You you got to have Angela and Solomon, and it just they just cut them for whatever reason.
1: Um, they visit Tiram in the book. They don't do that here. They just go to Derrett. So Tirum is like a coastal city. That's where he meets Angela and Solomon. But there's also a friend of Brahms named Jode. Jode is a merchant basically, but he also helps the Varden and old friend of Brahms. Now in the second book Jode is imperative for Rorran's arc. They don't even include him here. They don't even he doesn't even exist. And a lot of that that really aggravated me because Jode makes is one of the reasons why they were able to get Saphir's egg in the first place and that isn't even you know, you leave out one of the most important characters to start the entire series out completely. It doesn't they, even yeah,
0: exist. They, le- they left out so many important characters. And, um, so uh, eldest, the, the second book of the series, it was out when this movie was being made. Like they, they had every opportunity to read it or at least go through some notes, some plot points. Um, they had that option, but it, it seems very clear to me that they did not even bother um, because the decisions they made in this movie, like I was saying earlier, and like you were, you were mentioning, they left out so many important things. It, it's literally impossible to follow the story of the second book um, with a sequel. Absolutely impossible.
1: I, yeah, I couldn't see it, even though the ending, they kind of leave it open. It's like, where were you going to go with this, genius? <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows? Okay, so we're at Tirm in the book. We only go to Darit. Um The next is Gilead, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. in the book and the movie.
0: Yeah. Um, so after after they leave uh, Darrat in the movie, oh, that's when they're killed, or that's when they fight the Razak in the forest. And Brom talks about, oh, I killed Morzan after to get revenge, and uh, he talks about Morzan and that this is his sword, and. Uh, I, I I ran and hid in Carvahall out of shame because when I killed Morzan, his dragon died. So, yeah, that's not why Brahm is in uh, Carvahall. He didn't go there to to hide in shame. Um, but that's you know whatever. That's a. I just I just that's what a I'm plot point that I, happens I in the books.
1: We don't want to we don't want to give it away. Yeah, to like, everyone.
0: Yeah, but I mean, th- th- again, like there are things that are happening in this dialogue things with Bram's character uh, I don't think the the person who wrote the screenplay knew knew anything about <laughs> Bram from the books like he just didn't know anything and fair enough he didn't know um the true relationship between Bram and Aragon because that hadn't been revealed that didn't yet happen until singer yeah so that's fair enough but there should I, I don't know I, I feel like Christopher Paolini maybe should have been more hands on. I don't know if maybe he couldn't be. Maybe he was busy. Um, he might actually. I think he was uh, touring for his uh, book in uh, in Europe at the time. So I think he just wasn't available to kind of doctor the screenplay at all. So that's uh, th- that ended up, you know, kind of screwing them because basically all the characters, um, their motivations are just all wrong, and and because of that their personalities are wrong um the way they go about speaking and reacting to the world and everything around them is just all wrong yeah and then that's when Durza sends a dream to Aragon using Arya somehow they're linked enough and and then uh, oh also Murtag was also in Derrett uh in the movie for some reason did you catch that
1: yeah it just uh
0: he kind of shows up for a second and like they look at each other and then he walks away um, and then they're attacked by Urgles and all that. And then, um, so after this dream, Aragon uh, he wakes up and he's, he's packing his bags. And and Braum wakes up and he's like, "What's going on? Where are you going?" He's like, "I'm going to save Arya." And uh, he says, "How do you know that name?" And you know they have a little dialogue. And so at this point um, in the book, Bram's already dead by the time um, they they go to save Arya. And he ends up he ends up saving Arya by by chance in the book he just happens to be taken to the same dungeon where they're keeping Arya because durza and the Urgles captured him they they fought and they captured him and they just happened to for some reason they were stupid enough to bring him to the same uh jail
1: that in of itself is you know that was a great bit of dialogue when he's in the cells in the book um and the Shade comes in, and they're talking, and he realized...
0: They have their little confrontation. Yeah, yeah.
1: they had. See, that was... That built their kind of disdain for each other a lot better than anything else that happened up until then. And it really brought it home. And it gave you... You know, Galbatorix is like this... He's the big bad, but he's like in off on the side. He's just there. It's like...
0: In the f- this really was Durza's, like, this book was about Durza more than, definitely more than Galbatorix or anybody else. Like, he was, like, the main villain. And, uh, I thought it was interesting. I really, uh, I like Durza a lot. Um, he was, and even after this book, Durza has long-lasting effects on Aragorn. Yes, but We can he does. talk about that a little bit later on. But, yeah, uh, go ahead and continue uh, what you're saying about, um, Aragorn
1: and Durza. So, in the book, they, Aragorn, as I said, uh gets captured after Brom gets killed which if I'm not mistaken the Razak actually actually kill him and
0: yes um, so what happens is uh they're they're uh, ambushed by the Razak because they're they're running away because Aragon got spotted by them in town so he they, they have to run and they flee out of town and they actually the Razak managed to catch up to them and um, attack them and uh, they, they subdue them they've got them like tied up and stuff and like it's a really bad deal but Murtagh shows up um and uh you know fires some arrows at the razak makes them flee but as they're fleeing they get pissed off and they try to they just they throw a some sort of like poisonous um <clears throat> excuse me poisonous dagger of some sort at aragon and brahm jumps in front of it he does the whole hero... It's kind of a cliche, honestly, but... You know, right, it, it and it's the, the same...
1: Book. It's similar to the cliche that happens in the movie, whenever they yeah, go to save Arya... very similar, like... And Braum jumps yeah. in front of the spear, or what is it, yeah, so, or whatever. Yeah, so
0: Braum, yeah, so he jumped in front of this knife, and uh, it, like, impaled him, like, really deep. It messed him up really bad, and uh, the Razak run away... And, uh, Murtaugh shows up and he, he releases Aragorn and Sephira and they, they, they try to help Brom, but they're just unable to. And, uh, he ends up dying. Uh, and then, um, then they're attacked again later on by Urgles, uh, and, uh, Aragorn gets clubbed in the head and he tells Sephira to run. And so Sephira and Murtog take off and they manage to escape. And that's how Aragorn ends up in the prison, uh, in the books.
1: When he's in that prison they are drugging him so he can't remember words in the ancient language and
0: yeah so he can't he can't use magic and he can't escape because
1: yeah they're drugging him and eventually he figures that out and kinda stops eating and eating their drug meals and stuff and eventually he starts to understand what's going on and they actually have a prison break Murtag Mur yeah it was a awesome. Murtag or Murtal I can't remember how to rate it yeah I don't either. It's one way or the other. It's spelled Murtal, but they say Murtag in the audio book, so it's kind of like, I don't know. But at yeah, any rate...
0: W- real quick, before before we continue with that, I did want to say there was a scene, the scene in the movie when he's about to take off and go rescue Arya. Um, Brom's telling him, no, it's a, we have to get to the Varden. She, she'll die, but it's for a good cause. It's what she would want. Aragorn says this line, because Safira's like, you know, I think Brahms right. We really shouldn't do this. We need to think about this. And he says, "I'm the rider, and I say we go." <laughs> and Safira just listens to him and takes off. And there's no fucking way she would have put up with him do, trying to do that to her in the She would have. She's
1: like, <laughs> before that even happened, she's actually jerked him down and put her claws on him and held him there.
0: Yeah, like Aragon does not tell. Nobody tells Safira what to do, and, and that's the thing. Like in this book, she she's not. It's again like they don't have the personality right for this character. Uh, in the books, she's just kind of very. Um, she's very protective of Aragon. She she won't if he's going to do something and she knows she can stop him from doing something stupid. Like you said, she will literally grab him, put like shove him to the ground and put her claws on him. It's like no, you're not moving until I think it's okay. Um, like she she does that and she she's kind of. She's got a funny sense of humor. She's kind of sarcastic, but um, she's not afraid to, you know, rip somebody's throat out and uh, threaten people if she has to. She like she legit threatens Ajihad um, later in the book. She's like, um, yeah, it's a good thing you didn't try to harm Aragon because I would have torn this whole place apart and I would have ripped your bowels out of your, uh, you know, I would have just ripped you apart. And he was like, oh, shit. Right. <laughs> but she was just like very matter of fact. Like She, she doesn't care. Like she's going to do what she wants to do. So, I just thought that line was kind of dumb. I didn't like it. Right. But yes. <laughs> yeah, go, go on. <laughs> My rant is
1: over. Um, so, Braum gets killed in the movie. Um, it is cliche. It's, it's similar to what happens in the book, just in a different place. Um, and they've got to get to the Varden now to save um, Arya. Um, but... A lot of what, on their way to get to the Varden, and the reasoning in the book why they have to get to the Varden is, he goes in her mind, she whoops his ass in her mind, um, and then he says something in the ancient language that you can't lie in, says he's a friend, and then they talk. Eventually, they start heading to the Varden. Murtagh, or Murtag, does not want to go in the book. Right. He has yes. no he's interest. He's very adamant. He does not want to go. He, but he doesn't want to leave. Aragon too, because he does, He wants to be there to help him. Um, and eventually, he gets stuck to where he has to go to the Varden because there's no other way to go. Um,
0: yeah. Do you remember what happens in the movie when he's like, "We we need to get to the Varden." No. Do you remember what Murtaugh says? To really. the Varden, it is. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> no issues at all. No issues. He literally,
1: um, like, they come to blows and argue and hate each other because. They literally get into a fist fight over this because they're so pissed off.
0: Like, because Murtog's like, I told you I didn't want to go to the Varden. You mother. <laughs> He's like, they start fighting. And again, that's another time when Safira freaking grabs both of them, shoves them to the ground, and says, You guys need to talk this out, figure it out. Stop fighting amongst yourselves. And uh, again, the wise dragon um, solving all the problems.
1: With brute force. But
0: yeah, he's like – in the book, you're right. He's like, I am not going to the Varden. No way in hell. Not going to happen. But in the movie, it's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> it's like, OK, whatever.
1: And then what what's crazy, and I'm going to attribute this because – I did something similar as uh, as I was transitioning into an adult. You don't... You get told things by your parents and you hear it in one ear, it goes out the other and you don't really comprehend it as how important it is. And I kind of see how he acts with Braum and how he screws up how to use magic and doesn't really listen to you gotta think, you gotta do it the easiest way possible with the most effect, without killing your body. Now, whenever he actually... See, they have to cross the desert in the book to get to the Varden, and they're being chased by one of the largest Urkel armies ever. So, they're trying to cross the Hatterrack Desert, where there's no water. And, now that he doesn't have Brom there, he has... He is forced... To figure this out himself and it's kind of like pulling the rug out from under your moment you know whenever you move out on your own and you have to figure things out for yourself it's coming of age similar and he does figure it out though it takes him quite a bit of time and a lot of energy to pull, instead of pulling the water from the ground to try and get water to make it across this desert he actually felt for water streams and puddles and whatnot under the ground and just pulled it to the surface. and Right, and didn't he at first try
0: to turn like dirt into water? Right, or right. Like he, that? Well, he
1: tried to pull all the moisture out of the dirt. right. And that okay. took so much because there was no moisture in it. So he eventually thought, well, maybe there's still water under the ground, and he did He used it to pull up springs from deep below. And that didn't take a lot of work for them to get enough water to make it across the desert. But contrast that to whenever Brom was alive and Brom would tell him not to do stupid stuff and he to double think it and really work out an easier way of doing it he just kind of shrugged it off and say, I'm going to shoot 12 a 100 feet <laughs> yeah and you could kind of see how he had to adapt because he didn't have that place to lean on and I don't know that just kind of sunk with me because I yeah, was that uh, way Maybe
0: maybe like yeah, right. Like, like Brahm's death was kind of like, man, I could die too. Like, Brahm was like, he was like my mentor, my hero, and he's gone. Like, I need, I need to, I need to really figure out how to um, do things on my own now. Um, and, you know, I, he maybe got like a sense of moral, mortality.
1: Um, it could be that uh, in but that but moment. I just seen it as more of like when you have that place to lean in your life you're more likely to use that place to lean instead of using your own strength and thought process and wit to figure out a way to handle that problem you're more likely to lean on someone to help you with it and that it connected with me because I leaned on a lot of my family because I have a really tight knit family to kind of solve problems through their advice and different things and never really looked too hard myself but as i got older i moved hundreds of miles away i kind of had that oh crap i have to figure this out for myself and i think that that just kind of resonated with me i don't know that's just something that's actually, i saw yeah
0: that's a, i i actually really like that point uh i i didn't even really make that connection but uh it does make a lot of sense on uh yeah, I mean, I I can understand definitely why you uh, got that out of that scene. Um, it's th- so that's probably a scene that actually could have been really good in the movie, actually. Like, I was thinking, like, there's a lot of scenes that they cut from the movie that were in the book. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, oh, maybe it's not necessary for them to uh, to cross the desert. And it, c- it could have just been, like, a good time saver. But, like, you, I really do like that point you just made. Yeah. Um, It's kind of interesting how books like this, like we can, we we might find little things like that, um, that really kind of hits home with us. Um, I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, you just you just blew my mind right there, You just really made me think about that. Um, Yeah, that was a good point.
1: Well, damn. A lot of that (laughs) stuff, and the reason why a lot of uh, a lot of books people get into is because they can put themselves in that position. Uh, That's a lot of why a lot of these fantasy novels like Pendragon, this book, Artemis Fowl, stuff like that, they have you, it's more able for you to be put in that position but in a lot of times, see I didn't think of that like that whenever I read the book when I was a kid but now as an adult reading it, it it resonates with me, I guess is the best way, because maybe it's just connection between your struggles growing up, but that's something that just really stuck with me, um, and I, I really enjoyed that because it, it showed growth, and the movie doesn't do that, which...
0: The, yeah, you're right. The movie doesn't really show any characters developing really in any way, <laughs> to be honest. Just like there's just nothing they're all just kind of they just kind of exist and they're all the same from start to finish um, and it really is it is another reason why it's so disappointing
1: had they here's you know I'll actually I'm not going to go into that once we finish I will go through and pinpoint how I could have made this movie work even though they had the time frame. And make it to where it would work into the next sequel and it would kind of cut down on a lot of the dialogue that this book had in it. Because this book sets up a lot of things with a lot of dialogue that you don't get the fruition of it until later. Like, only a few things, only a few things in this book actually you get the fruition of it in this book. It's the next book and the next book and then the last book. The next two books are my favorite. I like I personally like eldest best but Brisinger's right there with it. Inheritance is yeah, okay. I think, I think
0: Brisinger is probably my favorite.
1: I, I like Brisinger because of the sword and all that. That just I really mm. liked that arc and that part of it and the kind of mysticism behind the Manoa tree and yeah there's a thread there that i if we ever go into going over that book i want to i want to ask a question about it but we'll wait late use that for a later time but anyway you were saying where were we at
0: oh uh, yeah we, I, we were just uh, continuing um i mean you you were on a roll there so uh yeah just keep on going what happens next in this movie you were talking about um, how Murtog is just like, yeah, let's go to the Varden, all right? So just carry on. Oh then. gosh,
1: that just aggravated me so much because that was a really big point of contention for them, and they're being chased by this Urgal army, and they pretty much get stuck. If I'm not mistaken, similar to a, it looks like kind of a valley or a mountain. In the vault. The
0: yeah, they're they're in these uh, these mountains. The Beor mountains in the books they're described as like like miles high as like you can't see the sky past them like if you're close enough like it just looks like they go on forever they go up into the clouds like these are huge mountains and they get funneled into this little valley so there's no way he can get out without going back to the urgles and myrtle's
1: like well f it i guess i'm going to the ver- varden and of course he's not happy about it and i think at that point he finally explains to Aragorn why. And that's because he's Morzan. He worked for Galbator... Morzan's son, he worked for Galbatorix for a little while until he realized how insane he was. Because if he's... Yeah. Galbatorix is, kind of manipulates, but then that insanity kind of slips out. Slips out. It's under there. It's like... He's like dragon riding he's he's, he's
0: out of his mind insane but he's still so powerful that it really doesn't matter he's still able to kind of control people because he's just that powerful even though he's completely lost his mind
1: can i go into why Galbatorix lost his mind and why he's that way
0: yeah sure go for it. it is it is explained in the book so, so it, I, I couldn't remember
1: it. Uh, they're yeah. all milled together so Galbatorix To preface this, if we haven't already, he's the king. He was part of the Dragon Riders in the times of old. His dragon, his original dragon, was killed, and as we spoke before, Dragon Riders, if their partners killed, they start to go insane. And it, not technically, they all do, but the grief is so—it's like. It's not even, it's like losing your, getting your soul sucked out in some ways. It's literally just like losing a part of you because you're mentally linked, like down to, it's, to your soul basically. And he petitioned the, after he went through all this, he petitioned the dragon riders to get a new dragon, to try and get a new dragon. And they declined him. If I'm not mistaken, the reason why is because the reason why his first dragon died was because he was, he was stupid in how he did it. And they said no.
0: Yeah. So he kind of like went out on like a joyride kind of thing with a couple other riders, and they got amber, am- ambushed by Urgles. And and then after after like the other two riders and all the dragons were killed, he was like he was wandering the countryside trying to get back to the dragon riders. But they, he was so far away, it took him a long time. And he was just like out of his mind and just kind of killing everything that came in 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 his sight and uh it was just like he was in out in the wilderness barely surviving and going more and more mad just like trying to scratch and claw his way back to the riders um so by the time he got back he was already like in a really bad state mentally and physically and then they denied him like you said
1: which angered him and then he had a vendetta against them Eventually, with the help of some other writers that he like I said, he, he is mad, but he is also charismatic and um he's he is very controlling but he he does it in a way to where he talks it in talks you into it. He's um I can't think of the word I'm trying to say. But he's charismatic He's like a master manipulator He's a manipulator and He's like
0: really good he's like his mental ability his ability to mentally control people with with his magic and his mind is just like beyond anything of anybody else could do in this world he's just like literally the best at it so like once once he gets in your mind you're kind of just his
1: basically so he manipulates and eventually gets his own forsworn his own group of writers and it that kind of, when I think of that, it reminds me of, um, oh, the, the Lord of the Rings riders, the bad guys. Um, the Nazgul? The Nazgul. It kind of reminds me of Nazgul, but Dragon Rider version, kind of.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But they, they have their own thoughts and minds and everything. And,. That's kind of what he does to take down the dragon riders, but he, they help him steal an egg, and he, using his mind, he, cha- he forces that dragon to his will and to hatch for him inside of the egg, which that's something else that wasn't actually talked about in the movie. Saphira was conscious in her egg this entire time for hundreds of years, and they only hatch for certain people. Whenever they find someone they want, yeah. To.
0: So here's the thing: in in the books, it's explained that they 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 can wait in their eggs for just basically until they, like, for as long as they need until the right circumstance arrives to hatch. So in the past, it was like, oh, maybe there's not enough food, maybe there's like, the winter's extremely bad, so the eggs not going to hatch until it's you know safe, um, and then eventually, the dragons started hatching for riders, like you said. Um, in the movie, it's weird because it's like the way it's explained and the way Sephira acts, it's like dragons exist for the riders and not as a separate, like sentient species. It's not, it's not a partnership in the movies. It's like the the dragons belong to the riders. Yeah. They do what the riders want. They do what the rider says and they only exist for the rider. And it just kind of like took away all the agency from dragons um, which uh, I really didn't like that either, right. but like you were saying he, he kind of did do that to his dragon. He's like, all right, you're gonna hatch for me because he's just
1: I guess he's just that powerful. and basically hatched himself another dragon. He then goes on to destroy the riders and become king, basically. That is what's going on with Galbatorx and back to Murtaugh and them, he worked for. Gabatorix for a short period of time because Gabatorix was like, "We're gonna make a better world," and manipulated him. Eventually, part of that craziness slipped out during a dinner, and Murtal seen, "Okay, I gotta get out of this. I'm gonna get killed. Something crazy is gonna happen. He's nuts," and was on. He's been on the run ever since, basically. But the Varden know that he helped Gabatorix for a time.
0: Yeah, they know, and they they know he's a uh, Morzan's son. They know that he was helping Gavatorix, and just being Morzan's son alone is enough right. for them to to want him dead. Um, so another thing, um, I believe in the in the book um, when he's talking with Aragorn, Aragorn's like, "What's the problem? I'm sure you could get them to understand that you're on their side." And he's like, "I'm I'm not on their side. Like I don't actually agree with what the Varden want. They want to destroy the Empire." Um, Murtog actually doesn't, he doesn't want, because he, he believes that it'll cause complete anarchy and and chaos. He thinks that the empire in, in general is a good thing and a good idea. He just wants to stop Galbatorix. So even on like the most basic level, like he doesn't even agree with the Varden just in general. So there's like, he has no reason at all to want to side with the Varden.
1: I think a lot of that stems from the war that would take place with the using the Varden against him, which does take place with using the Varden against Galvatorx and whatnot, and I don't know, that's how it came off to me, was he's more against the war that would entail. He would rather just go straight to the source. How the Empire works, he sees it as it's a net good in a lot of ways, And in some ways, kind of, because of how the defenses are, but it's also corrupted. Which every society gets that way in some way, shape, or form. But I think it's him, I think it comes down to, in his mind, the ends don't justify the means, whereas the Varden is the means justify the end. So the bloodshed needed to do all this would be too much in his mind and in the Varden the bloodshed is not enough if it means that we do this (laughs) basically and I'm not saying that the Varden are warmongers per se but they certainly don't have any love for the Empire
0: right they'll yeah they really don't they like you're saying they're gonna do whatever it takes to to stop to destroy the Empire and get rid of Galbatorix. let's jump ahead a little bit so they've they've managed to make it to the Varden. They've they've they're in the mountain. They they're confronted by different members of the Varden. There's no twins in the movie. Uh there are no dwarves in the movie. There's no Oric, which I love Auric. Oric is a he very important ex- character. He becomes extremely important yes. <laughs> in in later books. God, like where do we even begin? Like I just
1: they get to the Varden, the twins want to look through their minds to see if they're real or evil or good or whatever, but the twins are rough about it. And if I'm not mistaken, they're evil in and of themselves, but yeah, they, I believe they,
0: they betray, they definitely betray the Varden later on, but, um, not in the, not in this book, but later,
1: but, um, so Aragorn's like, we got to save Arya, blah, blah, blah. They take and put them in cells until they know for sure what's going on for the night. Aragon's eventually left out. Murtaugh is put in another jail cell, and ma- mainly to keep him away from other people. Um, Ajihad kind of understands it and lets them rest before he has them come and see him. Ajihad being the um, leader of the Varden. He lets them rest, eat, get cleaned up, all that. And he meets Ajihad. Ajihad, very good leader in my mind, he does tell Aragon what some of which Braum had already said is like, people are going to try and control you. They're going to need, they you are a set of power in this world now. You're uncontested and you're not set to anyone's will or have any allegiances right now. And that comes into great importance later because he's like, the Varden's going to try and control you. There are even people within the Varden that want you to be a part of them. Then you yeah, got the Yeah, there are the even dwarves. different
0: factions within the factions right. that are going to try to control. Like, it, it gets... The second book gets really political. I'm, I'm about, like, 30% through it right now, and it gets... Like, he gets pulled in so many different directions. It's actually really interesting. Like, you've got how the, the Varden's
1: run. You've got... Um,
0: the dwarves who are completely separate from the varden yet kind of working together yeah with they're allies really, yeah.
1: but only because of hrothgar and um orc being the nephew i believe of hrothgar yeah yeah and
0: he's a uh, the adopted nephew actually i think cuz i think he, at one point he says he was a- adopted into the family um so which is something that happens with aragorn later on too like the, you get, I get love a lot that of part dwarf, too i love it you get it. a lot of dwarf culture and these like the culture of the dwarves is really interesting. You get a lot of it in book two, and then it just keeps continuing to go on as the books continue. And it's really like the the dwarves are like really important to this whole arc, this whole story. To be the honest, the four
1: books, the the dwarfs of all the races and cultures are my favorite in the book series, just because yeah, definitely just because of their political structure, their religion structure, and I don't... They they are stoic. And they have their beliefs. They're going to go how they want to be. And they're strong. A long-lived race. But then you go to the elves and they're like what you would... Cons- to me, this is how a lot of them come off. Like turn up your nose rich people that's just, that's how it just kind of comes off yeah to
0: me. while while in uh i believe in the and maybe it's book two or was it the first book when uh aragon and Sephira get like real? no it had to have been book two there, there's a scene where they just get f- like obliterated drunk and it's so funny like the dwarves are just like drinking with with the dragon and with the it's dragon rider and they're just ha- yeah they're having this big party and like it's just like you don't. You're not going to see elves having like partying with people like that. It's just like it's. It's way more fun with the dwarves.
1: And it's just. But yeah, that was so funny. It's just really good, um, in my mind. And they actually, um, basically, Aragon becomes a a dwarf he can even be he literally
0: becomes a dwarf yeah he gets to be buried with he them. can be
1: buried with them and that you know i say that and you're like oh that's a big deal he's a dragon no like in that society and it's in in this series it's very 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 honorable to do that because they they are not big on outsiders but um i'm pretty sure isn't it true that
0: aragon was the the only human to ever be given that that honor i think so i i think that's true But that's book two. Let's go ahead and uh, go back to um, the movie and book one. So, what what were your thoughts of the the Varden and the the environment around them? Uh, I guess I could say Farthendur Tronchim, whatever. Uh, Because I guess they didn't really show Tronchim there. There's no. uh, Also, there's no um, uh, Sapphire Star.
1: Yeah, that
0: (laughs) Uh, that was actually. Really important. That's a really important. It's we'll get important to that. We'll get to that at the end. Future but, uh, books
1: and yeah, and also the final
0: battle of this book.
1: Caddy Corner with the um, with the culture of the dwarves and why Aragon becomes such a good friend to them, and um, but in any rate, I want to talk about the Sapphire Star that you brought it up. So. Up near... Isn't it high up that there's a very large gem called the Sapphire Star? It's, it's huge. <laughs> and it is one of the dwarves' most important relics. And it's part of their city, basically. And it's beautiful. And They it's a lot of talk about this gem. And it is used a little bit later. We'll get into that. But it's very important in the books. It is not even mentioned nor seen in the movie. And that kind of bothered me because that 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 gem in itself makes a very a lot of important decisions um so he speaks with Ajihad Ajihad's like go tour the city go up to the dragon nest up top and we'll get to you later Um, there's gonna be people wanting to know more about you and we're gonna and this is in the book we're going to test you and there are, you know, we talked about the twins. The twins are a set of sort, set of two sorcerers. They're a part of this group of source of magic users in Farthendur Tronjeen, part of the Varden, and they're basically wanting to test him, but they want to know his complete understanding so they can be stronger by using it.
0: Yeah, so they're 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 giving him all these unnecessary tests, and they're trying to figure out what words he knows and how powerful he is and they're wanting to see if he knows any words that they don't know so that they can gain more you know knowledge and they're these really kind of conniving little bastards in a way um and they're they're pretty strong but but before we go any farther i do want to say when they were delving into their into aragon and murtog's mind when they first got there i thought it was really interesting how they were trying to get into murtog's mind but murtog's actually stronger than them like they can't they cannot get into his mind and uh, I really like that uh, that scene where Ajihad's like, "Okay, you you kind of n- you need to let them do this," and he was just like, "No, I'm not going to."
1: My mind's my only salvation in this world, and I'll not let it. It's all I have. will not in this let world. it be tampered with, and I I enjoyed that too. Yeah, and actually
0: Ajihad like gained a lot of respect for him in that moment, but he was like, "Oh, that's cool, but sorry, you got to go to prison now." Um, but yeah, I, I just I'd really like that scene, and again.
1: Not in the movie. Which Adjihad actually gives him whatever you know to read, write, do whatever. He's pretty much
0: yeah. There's a funny. There's a funny scene later in the book. Uh, you reminded me of, like he when he visits Murtaugh, and Murtagh's just like chilling. He's like, hey, this actually isn't so bad. Right. I they give me whatever I want to eat. I can read. I can just hang out. They gave me a bed. Like he's like actually like having fun being their prisoner. It's so funny.
1: So you know uh, we were talking about how the whole political environment and being pulled in different directions. To, to base this correctly, the Varden are pretty well good people. Um, the leader, Ajihad, is a very good leader. He has a daughter named Naswada, if I'm saying that right. She's a pretty good leader, um, which she just barely shows up in this book, in the first book. And um, Eventually, Hrothgar wants to meet, which Hrothgar is the leader of the dwarves. They're in a basically in a dwarven city, um, and he goes to visit Hrothgar. Hrothgar wants to see the measure of him, and I really like Hrothgar. Hrothgar does the best he can with the other dwarven clans and for the Varden, and he's real t- easy-headed, but he's also... Strong, I guess you could say. What you would think of like the epitome, epitome of dwarf, dwarf of a dwarf, a dwarven leader
0: of a dwarf king, leader warrior. Yes, yeah, he's like, he's got all the good rolled into one
1: package. Um, Orik is there with him, which is his nephew, and or he tell he makes Orik basically be his guide, be Aragorn's guide, and that's that comes into play especially later in the next book where they actually bond and become really close, in my mind, and I really enjoyed that. Oryk is a very... And it's not in the movie at all, of course. Very good character. Um, uh, So he does that. And then the blessing. Now, I'd like you to talk about that, because that's...
0: Okay. Yeah, so... The, i think there was actually a scene in the, a deleted scene but i i'm not 100 sure so uh, a woman she's this care is she a, the caretaker for an orphan child is that the situation yeah i believe so um so she's like please uh uh arjitlam which is what they call him um i can't remember what that word means. silver hand like i believe term of respect yeah right so it's like it's a term of like respect for the dragon riders she's like please uh i'm I'm struggling to take care of this child uh can you bless her you got to give her your blessing and aragon isn't super confident with uh the ancient language so he's like oh god well, you know, what do i do like i can't say no um and then Safir's like oh well, you know let's let's try and uh, i'll help you and so he tries to put together this um this sort of incantation of like a blessing like um he says some words like some phrases in the ancient language and he like blesses the child and Safira touches its forehead or it's yeah, it's forehead with her nose and you see this like sparkly light and stuff. And it's like a really cool scene, but it doesn't quite go right. Um, uh, it kind of like, how how do I explain? Like it, 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 it wasn't so much a boon for the child. Like the child becomes strangely powerful, but like not really in a good way. Um, and I, I don't quite remember everything that happens in the later books, but I know that it this this blessing goes awry, and it's kind of a big deal in the later books.
1: So, he he goes to bless this child, and before I finish the blessing and t- talk about it, a little bit on dragon magic. Dragons can use magic, but not with at, at will, and they can do insanely amazing things. Um, when Braum died in the book, she actually turned his um his burial into solid diamonds i'm not mistaken yeah
0: so they like they they managed to make him a tomb out of like sandstone so it was just like a stone tomb like but yeah like you're saying she turns it into like diamonds so that you can see and he's going to be pres- preserved from the elements for basically for all time like nothing's going to break this this uh this uh diamond tomb that he's in and he's just like you can see him and he looks like he's just sleeping in there and uh, it's it's really cool how they do that. Um, but yes, she just ma- she just touches it, and it's like okay, um, there we go. Here's Brom, and he's going to be protected for eternity. But they can't. Um, so yeah, so
1: they can't control it at will. So right. So yeah, that that was explained earlier. Now here we're going to use it again. So Aragorn trying to be the dragon rider, but he's not really ready yet. He hasn't had enough training, and he tries to use the words he learns in the ancient language and he's trying to say may you be shielded from harm but he actually says may you be a shield from harm
0: oh that's right and he, he actually
1: in a way curses this child you're right and she becomes able to feel and know when harm's gonna come to somebody like like uh like a painful, spidey sense is the best way I can put it. It hurts her what harm that's going to happen to somebody and when she's around them. And the only thing that kind of keeps her from basically going mad was when Safira blessed her. It kind of weaved it a different way to where she grew up quicker and it. Blunted a lot of that. And eventually he fixes most of it, but it's, it really was later when he realizes what he's done. It really brings home how magic can be fickle just as well as it can be helpful.
0: Right. Yeah. And this character is another pretty important character. Um, That does not show up in the movie. That's just, that's just completely cut. So let's talk about, um, well, we we do need to finish. So they, the the twins are testing Aragon, and um, their final test is they tr- they want him to do all these magic tricks, and you know, uh, so they're trying to like make him look bad, and they're they're like raise raise this stone to eye level, and they're trying to like um, fight him, but he you know with Sephira, he's able to defeat them and overpower them, and eventually they want him to. Uh, uh, bring out the essence of silver or whatever it was they said it's something that's basically impossible for somebody who isn't a master magician like if he would managed if he tried to do it, he'd probably kill himself um and that's when aria shows up and uh she's just like you this is the first time you really get to see her like in full stride um and her you get to really see her personality she because pissed. she's like yeah she's like shame on you for trying to do something that you can't even do. Like she calls them out. Like you can't even do this and you're going to try to make him do it. And like, and they're like, they, they run away. (laughs) Like like she grabs this silver ring and she does the spell and all that. And she was like, uh, yeah, she explains what they were trying to do. And uh, they, they run away like cowards. And then you get to see Arya fight And so she's like, all right, grab your sword and let's spar or let's fight. So she's like, um, she's giving him his combat test to see if he's uh, good at combat. So uh, he's like, oh, I don't want to hurt her (laughs) because, you know, she just got, she just recovered from being poisoned and nearly killed, um, which, you know, he really should have known better. Um, Yeah. So she she basically, if she wanted to, she could have completely annihilated him, but she was just kind of, you know, seeing what he knew. Um, so, it, but in his mind, he loses this sparring fight. But everybody around him that was watching, they're like, "Oh, that was incredible! I learned, I learned some new moves watching you." And he was just like, "What are you talking about? I just got my ass kicked." But so I thought that was funny. Like it, it kind of shows how Arya and the elves are like so far above um, Aragon right now in in terms of skill and and power. Because even Arya, like at her weakest, was like, if she wanted to, she could just manhandle him in any way she wanted to. Um, but yeah, then they, they talk a little bit, and they get to know each other a little more. And I really like Arya um, and towards the end of this book.
1: Um, to note, he's a little bit smitten in the first book. It gets a whole lot worse, but he's really smitten with Arya, Aragon is, which that I... Didn't like not because of the love interest, just how she handles it. Um, but that's for another time. But that's just something that I really didn't like.
0: Yeah, just kind of finish up uh, the movie, and then any final remarks. Like you were saying, you had some ideas, right? right. Of some changes. So let's just get into this final battle. So it's kind of small in stature. Uh, not a whole lot. Like there's not a whole lot of troops like colliding. It's kind of all over the place. At one point, for some reason, Murtog is just in a a jail cell that's like out in the middle of the town or something. And like he manages to break out because somebody like tries to kill him. They bust the door down and try to kill him. I I don't know. It's just just weird. It's a weird scene. Like, just a lot of nonsense and craziness going yeah, on. Yeah, and in the book, he and just then, comes
1: out and fights with them. He He's just...
0: Yeah, they they just let him... They give him, like, a sword and armor, and they let him fight. It's like, because they're basically like, well, we're being attacked by, like, thousands of Urgles, So, whatever. <laughs> Let's just let him out. Like, let him fight. So... And in the book, there were three fronts. Like, there was, like, Hrothgar's uh, was leading one charge. Uh, Ajihad was leading one. And Ajihad's right hand man—I can't remember his name—but he was also leading. He was the one of the he was the, the fight.
1: swordsman that was like I learned a bunch of new moves from Arya and them.
0: Yeah, so like there was like it was a huge battle. There was like there were thousands upon thousands of people fighting, and uh, at at certain points, um, Aragon has to travel between the different fronts, and he has to go over here and help, and like he ends he nearly gets killed, and at one point he slams his blade into an Urgle's head, and it it sticks in his head and it's, he loses a sword and he has to jump down and grab it and like it's there's a lot of craziness going on but in the movie like yeah it's really
1: it's nothing I, but basically him fighting in the air with Thurza.
0: yeah like you don't see anything you don't see like the um the like the savagery and brutality of this battle it's just kind of like some guys hitting each other with fake swords and it's like you hear the 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 screams and stuff noise but it's like yeah it's kind of just like yeah it's just it's just noise um, and then in the movie, he ends up fighting Durza. Uh, Durza's flying some...
1: Magic. Smoke. He's flying on a magic, magic bat. He, he's,
0: he's flying on magic, yes. <laughs> That's pretty much exactly what it is.
1: And in the book, he does not fly whatsoever.
0: No. And uh, also, uh, the way he kills Durza, Safira throws him uh, from her tail, which is something that there's no way in hell she would ever do something like that. That, that would risk Aragorn's life. Um, she there's no way that she would do that but that's how they defeat Durza in the movie he like jumps on her tail and she flings him and he stabs him he like flies through the air and stabs him in the heart and gives his little you know funny one-liner like I expected more because that's what Durza said to him earlier in the movie I expected more you know there's a little action hero moment and uh, Safira catches him they crash land he tries to heal her wound and then they pass out and it's just it's kind of lame, but in the in the book, I actually really like the way the book ends with the Durza confrontation because Aragon is like he's supposed to be uh, in contact with the twins and kind of like you know getting ideas of wh- who needs help where, what needs to be done, but he can't find them, so he goes looking for them. Um, and at this point, safira was uh, her armor was like dented in, so she was having trouble breathing and moving. So the Arya was going to help her. Um, You know, fix that. And he was in Aragon's like running, trying to figure out what's going on because uh, something's happening in, in Tronchain. The Urgles are about to breach underground. they're trying to
1: breach underground behind them. Yeah. So he's like, I'll oh, flank them. Oh,
0: God, I got to stop this flank. And he goes and like, Durza shows up and a bunch of Urgles and he like gets into a one on one fight with Durza and he loses like bad. And I thought this was really interesting. I, I like in the movie, he just, you know, the hero just. B- this inexperienced hero just beats this super powerful monster being in a, you know, and he wins the day, but in the book, like Aragon can't beat Durza in a one-on-one fight, especially at this point in time. Like he, he legit loses Durza injures him so bad. Like he, he, um, he, he stays, like, he maims him across the back and he's in excruciating pain for like most of the second book. Um, and uh, he, he legit, he loses. There's a point where Aragon's like, I cannot believe this just happened. Like, wh- wh- how could this happen? I, I'm going to die and is going to die and everyone here's going to die. I, I failed. And then coming out of nowhere, Sephira with Arya flying on her back, Sephira shoots fire and is charging towards Durza. It's this epic moment. Arya shatters the... The sapphire stone, the, the, the pride and joy of the dwarf kingdom, this humongous jewel that's like like super old, intricate piece of artistry, just just destroys it to distract um Durza. And he manages to do that. He distracts Durza, or they distract Durza um enough uh, for long enough for Aragon to to take a cheap shot actually just stab him through the heart when he's not looking with help from his friends and a little bit of luck he manages to kill the shade and, and end up winning the battle so i thought that was kind Which of at that
1: point that that's a fair way to win yeah. against a yeah, shade definitely. at that point in his strength because he wasn't nearest he wasn't nearly and you realize later how weak he actually is you don't you don't the power contention at this point you don't really understand how weak Aragon is until he meets Arya, and then you start to see. But even later, it, it the real that power difference is just massive. Um, one point of contention I want to talk about, and it's um, in both the movie and the book. In the, the movie, safira breathes fire just randomly right before they. Yeah, fight.
0: it was uh, a <laughs> like she says uh, it's either she says this or he or aragon says this uh, into the sky to win or die like right before the battle happens oh, and then she breathes fringe. fire and like and he holds his sword up and like it's just i don't know they were trying to get a cool shot but yeah and she just she just breathes it for like because at some point in the movie she has to breathe fire
1: basically well she's not able to breathe fire throughout the book or the movie. She doesn't big enough, ain't strong enough, ain't old enough. Well, she breathes fire right after they break the Sapphire Star... And they're dive-bombing to try and save Aragorn... Which Aragorn uses to stab theirs and kill him. He uses that distraction. Now, <clears throat> the point of contention I have... I mean, they should have had the Sapphire Star... And her first breathing to save Aragorn, blah, 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 blah. I think they should have had that in the movie. But, did you notice... In the book, and this is something that I didn't notice and didn't realize until I went through the book for the second time, um, in the audiobook. Sephira's fire is blue, and it is not blue in the movie. Oh. Also,
0: Aragorn's magic is blue, um, while Arya's is green. And that comes into play a little bit later, like I think in the last book. Um, and I think Brahms... I don't know if Brahms was... What color his magic was, but yeah... They're, they do have specific colors of uh, magic and fire and things like that. Um, and it's also why Aragorn's sword, Brissinger, ends up being... Uh, um, I believe it has like a blue... Does it have a blue stone and a blue blade? Am I remembering that? I can't... I know
1: it has a blue blade because the blades are made to match the dragon.
0: That's why Zarok is uh, so uh, red. Because it matched Morsegan and
1: it works so well with Thorn. yep and all that now but yeah you're right Uh,
0: her flame was just
1: regular fire color regular fire and it was supposed to be blue which aggravated me they got the blue fire from Brisinger right but they didn't get it with hers so it kinda but all in all so at that point basically he's maimed in the book this is the end of the movie all you see is galbatorics. after this. I do really, want to say there, this, there is one dragon. more thing
0: about the movie. I want to say when he wakes up, Murtaugh makes this really off color joke about his dragon being dead. <laughs> and like, it's like, Oh, psych. She's not actually dead. Here she is. Um, and then he's like, where's Arya He's like, Oh, she left. She's on her way to Elismira. And I'm, I was just thinking like she left. Why? She couldn't stay for like another couple hours and you know see Aragon Like she left. Uh, and also, he's supposed to leave with her to carry on the, the arc for the next book. Like, how are you going to have this movie? Um, so he flies on Sephira and goes and meets her. And he's like, when will I see you again? I'm sure you'll see me soon. And then they, they part ways. (laughs) It's like, what, what? Like the second book is out. You, it's very early in the book. They travel together to go to, to the elf city. Like, what are you doing? They don't part ways. I just thought that was, that was like really
1: that was dumb actually I was really dumb to do that just the amount of stuff that was left out of this movie and um I want to finish what's happened in the book and then if you don't care I want to pinprick how I would fix the movie um what's left in the book he passes out from the damage to his back from the slice
0: Also, he gets uh, some mental damage from uh, the spirits as they leave Durza. That also affects him really
1: bad. So, uh, if we didn't mention this, a shade is whenever someone tries to use spirits to cast spells, and they bring out spirits too strong for them, and they possess them. And they become a single, solitary being. So, it's like multiple spirits possessing a single person, and they become a single being amalgamation. In a body, so whenever Aragon killed him, those spirits mentally attacked him, and then someone helped him and basically helped to somewhat stifle it off and help save that mental attack from the spirits that he destroyed, and that was the cripple that is whole. Um, what was his name? His basically his next mentor, um, and you have this this whole scene where he's, he's, a,
0: he's an elf from across the across the continent um, really far away he's like he kind of somehow he's strong enough to mentally help Aragorn from like all the way across the fucking land so
1: yeah it's a really powerful dude but in any rate um, he helps to block the shade away and cleanse most of the mental damage Aragorn eventually awakes and uh, he realizes he has a scar across his back, just like Murtaugh does, and they kind of make a joke about it. Uh, it's like we're brothers or something like that. Which, ha 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 yeah. ha, Matt. Spoiler um, alert. <laughs> yeah. But at any rate, um, that's basically where he needs. To, he says, "Okay, I need to go see the cripple who is whole," and that's the end of the book. Um, now, I'm gonna critique and say how i would fix this movie i'm gonna do it kind of quick uh first off don't call it a damn stone if you know it's a drag <laughs> <and> i would <laughs> take galvatore seriously
0: that's one of the dumbest things they could have possibly done and they did it
1: i would have took and completely out of it the only thing i would have shown was at the very end whenever you're kind of teasing the next movie have the same scene where the dra- his dragon is shown in the background with him sitting on a throne and that's it him just sitting there that would have been perfect don't yeah do cuz Galbatorix
0: he doesn't throw fits he's right. not he's not going to like whine and scream and like oh, i'm suffering without my stone uh like he doesn't do that so yeah right. you're
1: right i would critique kind of how the characters acted the ones that are in the movie and how they reacted they didn't have they didn't have to have him getting hurt on the ride whenever Safira picks him up you didn't ha- they didn't have to have that
0: yeah they didn't that, that was fine to cut that yeah and also when he when he breaks his wrist you know that's not necessary well, none of that's
1: super necessary you could cut that um, what the Razak actually are should have been in there and there should have been more put on that and what happened with the Razak killing Gar Garrow? That should have been more. Instead of throwing a bill on him and burning him, um, he should have stayed in town and been, you know, like he does in the book and kind of rested. And then him and Brom went on about their way about chasing them down. And that should have been the contention. Urgles should have been how Urgles are supposed to be with actual horns and all that. And they should have, you know, they could have montaged them training. That's fine. Um, They should have had one moment where they sat down after he used magic for the first time. And I mean went into great detail and just explained it. Not the half-assness. Sit down and explain exactly how it works that he learns throughout the whole trip. And give a full, complete explanation of how it works. How you can mentally battle people. How you can enter their minds. Stuff like that. And go through that. Next, they go, after they, you know, they go to Yazawak, that happens, and then he does the whole campfire and tells him what's going on and what's really happening. And then, you know, they can take out where he stops to get the horses and snowfire and all that. That didn't have to be in there. They don't have to, when they have to stop and get supplies and they...
0: Yeah, they don't even have to show Derrett at all in the, in the movie. They can just go straight from Yazawak to uh,
1: Tirm. All right, so... They're looking for the Razak, but the only way they know is the see so they have to go to Tyrion. And montage, you know, hitting the plot points, montage them going across the countryside, and stick battling, and then eventually sword battling with, you know, in between, as he gets better. And they get to Tyrion, and then have the whole deal with Jode, and how he... He teaches them how to read, and then they go into the building to find where oil is going. And and you have to have the
0: the Angela and the Angela, and the Angela and
1: Solomon.
0: Yeah, you got to have them.
1: You know, have that scene—a good scene of that. Then they need to. Was it right after that that Rom was killed?
0: Yeah, because uh, it's in Tiram where the Razak uh, run into Find Aragorn, and, and then they have to escape. Have that
1: chase scene instead of the crazy one in the forest randomly. Have the chase scene of him through the streets running. He gets out, and then the knight attacked by the Razak that kills Braum. Have him make the... Ha- have him try and build something, and Murtaugh show up and save them. Have him build something for them, and then the diamond tomb great. You got that big plot point, and then him go save Arya, get caught, doesn't have to have, like, a long drawn out, he just has to realize he's being poisoned, that keeps him from using his magic, and then he has a short aside with Durza, you know, where he pretty much basically calls himself a Shade Destroyer or whatever, and pisses Durza off. Then right after that, escape. You know, go through the whole decent escape. It doesn't have to be real drawn out and crazy. And then montage across the desert. And when they finally get to the desert, get out of the desert, and they start into the Boer Mountains, they see the Urgles come behind them. And, you know, Martal's like, I need to part ways here. I can't go to Varden. And they argue as they get to the waterfall. And then you actually spend another large portion of the run time of this movie
0: you really do need to see the, the dwarves in Tronchim and the the culture and how it's working in there like you don't get any of that in the movie and that's like so important to the the story yeah you so, can
1: cut out him walking around and you can cut out all that
0: yeah cut out the scene where he you know has to go take a bath and all that stuff get he all knows. that
1: cut out and he goes. You don't even really have to when he gets put in the holding cell for the night. Have the twins enter his mind and how it hurt and he didn't like it. Murtaugh says no. Then Murtaugh goes to jail. He goes to see Ajihad. Ajihad gives him the whole talk. He goes, then talks to Hrothgar. Get that you know, done. Um, And then it comes into the battle and you have the battle like it is in the book. If you can put those all plot scenes in two hours instead of where they actually did it, I think it would be a great movie.
0: And I think it's okay even to extend it to two and a half to three hours. Like sometimes you just have to do that. Like what 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 the Lord of the Rings did right is like, yes, if you know about the books, like you know there's there's a lot that they had to cut. But the reason the movies still work is because the things that they left in were like they didn't change the personalities of the characters. They kept in very important plot points and they didn't change them. And in, in in Aragon, the movie, they they cut things, but they cut things that they shouldn't have, and they changed everything else. So at the end of the movie, it's like it's almost it's very almost like you're watching something that isn't even based on the book anymore. It's just like you have very. You've got, like, the bare outline of the book.
1: It's like, instead of being based on a true story, it's inspired by a true story.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's inspired by Aragon, but it's not actually, it's not actually the story that you get from the book. It's very different, and because of all these changes that they made in the cuts, it's just, you know, it's not even close to being good.
1: Um, You talk about Lord of the Rings. There, they did make some good cuts, in that actually made a few of the characters. Well, mainly one to me after reading the Lord of the Rings, that I really am glad they did because one thing that really made me cringe when I read the Lord of the Rings is whenever Aragorn gets the bl- andor, I think it's Andoril, the blade that was broken, he does not fucking shut up about it. He says, "Look, it's the blade that's broken. It's it's here. It's the blade that was broken. It's been remade." And he says it a bunch of times in the book. He's like, like hey, if he could, he could just smack you in the face with it a few times just so you noticed it. That's how much he talks about it. And I'm glad that they don't they don't really just you know it's not done as much as he is all up and about it. And that is a, because I you know it's. it's better to have a character that's more humble than one that's just overbearing because people can connect with it. But uh, is there anything you, you know, I, I feel like I took way too much of your podcast. I've just been talked. Oh no,
0: no, I, I I was loving it. Like you had some good insights there. I do want to throw out, I think we're done with talking about our opinion of the movie and how it kind of, it really falls short from the book. Um, I do just want to throw out a couple of fun facts Uh, about this um, about this movie so fun fact number one this was the last movie to ever be released on VHS in the United States
1: oh man now Um, I'm feeling fucking old (laughs) the last movie Uh.
0: um, both Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart were offered the role of Brom but they they both turned it down because of their commitment to X-Men The Last Stand another movie that came out in 2006
1: oh another terrible one too I thought
0: yeah so i just think it's interesting like both patrick stewart and ian mckellen were offered this role the person who was originally offered the role of aragon uh there's the the actor's name is alex pettifer he was offered the role but he was afraid of flying and since the film was being made in budapest he was afraid to fly there so he didn't take the role christopher paulini wanted to be he wanted to make a cameo in this movie he wanted to be a warrior that gets beheaded in the final battle but because he was you know he was busy with his touring for his books. He just, he wasn't able to make I'm it. I'm just curious why he so wanted to be I beheaded. I was, I did, who knows? Um, I just thought that was kind of, that's kind of silly. Um, so let's see. There's got to be another good one. Uh, I, I mentioned how it was published by his parents. Um, oh, Christopher Paolini is also an artist. He actually did the original, the, he illustrated the original cover for Aragon himself. So that little, that dragon you see on the original cover, that was actually Christopher Paolini himself. Um, he, he drew that and he is the Guinness world record holder for um, he's recognized as the youngest author of a best-selling book series so congratulations to Christopher Paolini for that um, also I played through the, the Aragon video game um, I have not and I'm, I... just to see just to see what it was like um, it was it was hilarious I, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time with that game um it's janky as hell it's it's kind of like um you know those older lord of the rings games that's uh like the lord rings the fellowship two towers and return of the king i like the return of the king they they were they were really fun games it's kind of like that but bad um (laughs) but it was it still it was it was a fun time i played through it um I got all the achievements for it I found all the secret eggs I beat the game on hard mode um, I had a good time um, it was it didn't take me that long but I spent a, a weekend doing it a couple weeks ago um, so yeah it was it was a it was interesting um, but yeah again it's not that good of a game but yeah those were just a, a few um, little fun facts about the movie I thought especially also this this movie cost a uh, hundred million dollars That was the budget for the movie it got back over 200 million dollars um in revenue but you have to also take into account that for advertising usually what you have to do is you double the budget of the movie and that's usually how much is spent on advertising so this movie it didn't quite lose money but it almost lost money and it made so little of a profit that it basically lost money like it it came back with such a little return that um it was pretty much just a waste of everybody's time and money so that along with the reaction from fans and critics is the reason why there were no sequels which you know thank god because they, could, they, had, they had nowhere, nowhere to, go. to go it, yeah, they yeah they had nothing so i do uh, i this is definitely i've heard i've heard that there are rumors of a, of a reboot coming honestly i would prefer it not to be a movie unless somehow they get somebody who really knows how to adapt this it's gonna be hard because you kinda of need, you need all the things that we talked about. You need all that stuff in. You need Roran's arc. You have to have it. You have to have Katrina. You have to have Sloane. You gotta have Carvajal. You have to have the dwarves and the elves and you have to have the Urgles looking a certain way. You have to have the Kull. Angela and Solemnbaum, you must have them. And all of the, the fortune the fortune that she gives Like there's there's so much that's integral to the story that I think I would prefer if they managed to do some kind of series like a TV series. And since the the story is already done and it's only four books uh, and they don't have to worry about, oh, how is it going to end? Like with Game of Thrones, you know, that show was incredible for several seasons, but then they ran out of books and it just went way downhill and it was a disaster by the end. That's not going to happen. With an Aragon show, if they have the right showrunners, the the story's done. They don't. They they only have to adapt it. I, that's what I would hope for eventually. But
1: like a Netflix adaptation,
0: yeah, Netflix or HBO or whatever. You know, just uh,
1: Amazon, whoever gets it. The only thing that I worry about with something like that is considering the politicized nature of our media right now. Is right. Them. There, they would
0: make some kind of changes that would yeah. Make worse.
1: It would. It would be yeah. way different than the source material, and it would really abject fans from it because this has a really strong following. I mean, even to this day, and if you, if you try to change this in a really politicized way. It's just going to run it into the dirt. I think if basically, if you make this movie woke, it's going to be trash. It's never going to work.
0: Yeah. Especially cause this, this, the series, it's not one way or the other. It's, it's, it's like, it's not, it's not political in that sense. Like it's not telling a, a of a right wing perspective or of a left wing perspective. It's just, it's just a fun book about, you know, uh, a kid being thrust into this crazy world and he finds a dragon and he has to battle the emperor. And it's just like a lot of really interesting characters. It's just it's a good escape. That's what I like about another thing I like about um, video games and, and fantasy novels is like it's 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 an escape from all the horrible things that you have to see in and your everyday life. In your adult it gives life. you yo, know, it gives you a chance to just relax and have a little bit of fun. And you know you don't really want real life things overtly being thrown into your favorite form of media whether you're you know on one side of the aisle or the other um, so yeah I agree with you there I I do I do see how uh, media tends to try to shove things down people's throats and it, it in general it really does always make it worse <laughs> but it doesn't matter what their intentions are or what side left right whatever it just
1: literally always makes it makes it worse and and that's not saying that causes in those perspectives aren't legitimate in some right it is saying that whenever you are making a movie a tv show it is a work of art in, of, in and of itself in a different way of a painting or something of that nature but if you, co- if you make a work of art and you force it to book a different way than it should I guess you could say or force it in a different direction than what it's meant to be it comes off un oh what's the word I'm looking for well, it's uh,
0: it, it's it's unrecognizable from the original intent, and it also it it doesn't um, prove whatever point you're trying to make by my, by making the changes. Um, so it kind of, it really it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help whatever cause. It doesn't help the original art. It pretty much only um, uh, reacts it, it only ends up making things worse, in my opinion.
1: And, well, I agree. But it comes across un um, untrue, un, 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 not uninspired, but not honest. It doesn't, you know what I mean? It. Oh yeah, definitely. You may not realize it, and a lot of people don't. They're, but whenever you're reading, in a way, you're putting yourself in that person's perspective. And if you can't connect to put them in that perspective, you can't Feel that connection, and how that situation is happening is unfolding. Therefore, no connection, no enjoyment. Because all you're doing right, is it, watching. Right. It breaks.
0: It it breaks immersion. Yes, above, that's why I'm. I'm saying you're... that in a lot of
1: words, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah, you you lose all immersion when uh, when you lose. Yeah, when you're losing that, I, I agree. That makes a lot of sense
1: and that's what I worry about
0: only time time will tell Um, I don't actually know if it's going to happen in a perfect world uh, we would get uh, a TV series and it will be awesome but you know, that's just one of those things only time will tell I think uh, we're close to two and a half hours Uh, this was a fun discussion Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot I want to thank you for uh, coming on and being on this first episode with me of my podcast no
1: big deal no problem I enjoyed it too I feel like i talked too much but
0: uh well we both had moments where we talked a lot and that's that's fine i felt like it was a fun conversation and i'm hoping that anybody who listens uh will get something out of it so i want to go ahead and sign off here to anybody who listens i appreciate you go ahead and uh, i think i i honestly i would recommend i definitely recommend reading the book i recommend reading all the aragon books i think they're great and uh, go ahead and watch the movie just for a laugh, um, honestly. it's uh, After
1: you read the book, because it would be I, that much better. De-
0: definitely read the book first, for sure. That's why the name of this uh, podcast is Read a Book, Watch the Movie. You should always read the book first, in my opinion. Uh, without further ado, I'll go ahead and end this here. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody, and have an excellent day. I suffer without my stone. Do not prolong my suffering.